Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to TLC Live. As every Wednesday, we are here with you, and we've got an exciting show today. We Andrea did a great job this week. She really packed the show with some excellent guests who've taken time out of their very busy schedules, and we appreciate each and every one of them. You know, we at uh, TLC, we talk about it as social issues impacting the Latino community, and one of the issues that we're focusing on is the explosion, sort of an epidemic of obesity, which leads to type two diabetes. And while we know, and we've discussed with several physicians on the show, what is type, what is diabetes? Uh, what 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 are the implications of untreated and di undiagnosed diabetes, and the impact on taxpayers in the state of Texas, and the impact on counties like Harris County that have a what we call a charity hospital or a publicly funded hospital. And so we've already discussed that. But we also want to discuss the socioeconomics that lead to uh, some of the difficulties that income, low-income communities have accessing healthy nutrition, accessing healthy uh, options at grocery stores. Uh, and so there's a social impact. And what we want to find out is if the, the socioeconomic status of a person uh, leads to poor health care outcomes. And we have some, some experts uh, this morning uh, from the uh, University of St. Thomas, from our prestigious Rice University, and of course we've got the fabulous mayor of Angleton who probably uh, has to deal with some of these issues in his local community. So we want to thank everybody for joining us today. As usual, you can participate in the program by either uh, getting on Facebook and asking your questions, or you can copy a link that appears on screen uh, on your Facebook feed mm -hmm. and copy that link and paste it into your browser, and you will be on the show with us. So those are two ways that you can participate in the program. So I'm going to flip it over to the fabulous Colombiana, Andrea Gomez, to introduce our fabulous guest this morning. Good morning, Orlando. Buenos días. No me dejaste saludar. Saluda ahora. <laughs> <laughs> Buenos días a todos. Bienvenidos a TLC Live. And you already said it. It's an amazing, amazing um, show that we're going to have with special guests. And also, also the topic that we're going to discuss, you know, impact our community. So I'm going to start introducing the three guests that we have today. Uh, Stephen Kleinberg. 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 He is a doctor, professor in, in sociology from the Rice University. And also we have Dr. Daniel Perez Liston. He is an associate professor of finance at the University of St. Thomas. And also we have um, the mayor of Angleton. He is Jason Perez, but he was telling us that he is an elected volunteer mayor. So he said, I have a normal job, but I am doing this volunteering and I dealing every single day and I'm seeing these issues that our community is having with obesity and diabetes type yeah. two. And Angleton is a community just if south of, uh, of uh, Houston on uh, Highway 288, and uh, it's a growing community near Pearland. I, I believe it's in Brazoria County, if I'm not mistaken, Mayor. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity to meet him a couple of weeks ago. I so, know. He told me. Yeah. So He told me. Great. Okay. Well, let's kick off with Dr. Steven Kleinberg. Um, Dr. Kleinberg, I don't know if you heard the introduction, uh, but we want to talk about the... Uh, the socioeconomic impacts on healthcare outcomes. In other words, um, you know, we've we've heard that you know people that are well educated, people that have 
uh, middle class that have a good income uh, have have better access to to deal with health care issues. And on the other end of the spectrum, you know, the lower income folks um, have a more difficult time. From 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 a sociologist's perspective, first of all, is that is that paradigm is that theory correct? Doctor, uh, you are you are muted. Steve, uh, you're you're muted. So if you can Mute. unmute yourself, did that there work? There we go. Yeah, we got you. Oh, okay. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> this work, new system here. Uh, <laughs> of course, you're right on it. I mean, the the, the deepening inequalities between rich and poor in Houston is one of the central challenges that the city faces as we try to build a viable, sustainable society for the 21st century. And and Latinos are disproportionately coming here with very low levels of education. Uh, in our survey this year, for example, we asked them, do you and your family currently have any health insurance? And 41% of all Latino immigrant, uh, Latinos, immigrant and non-immigrant in Houston, 41% said they had no health insurance. Uh, that, that inequality, that uh, uh, 44% have households uh, making less than $37,000 a year. That inequality, that poverty, operates dramatically in affecting access to quality health care, access to quality education, access to the opportunities that this society can provide for success in America. It is the central challenge that we face. How do we restore the opportunity structures that used to ensure that poor folks had a meaningful opportunity to succeed? We're in a world now where if you don't have access to quality education from birth to college, from cradle to career, you're locked out of the opportunity. The good blue collar jobs that used to be in Houston in the 1960s and 70s, big employers with Hughes Tool Company, Cameron Ironworks, you could drop out of high school with a strong right arm and a willingness to work hard, and you could be, be able to make a middle class wage. Those jobs are, have largely disappeared. Education has become the critical determinant of a person's ability to earn enough money to support a family, and Latinos are disproportionately less, have less access to the education that is required for success in the 21st century economy. But doctor, not only less access to the education, but also less access to places to buy the, the, the healthy food, to places to exercise. Because if we go to the Latino communities, the Latino barrios, as we say it in Spanish, uh, you don't find easier these, uh, you, don't find, you don't find a Whole Foods, for example. You don't find a grocery stores that offer these kind of products for them. They, you don't find uh, areas that they can exercise and not necessarily to go to the gym or you know, not, not necessarily to buy a membership at the gym. It's just you know, simple as a park. You don't find those things for them to also get access easy in their own communities because many of them, they don't even have a car to drive somewhere else. Right to buy right. those things. So it's not only lack of education, but also lack to access to these oh, kind right. of uh, supermarkets and uh, just a simple space to work out. Yeah, no, exactly right. That's that, and, 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 but all of them are tied into the deepening inequalities, right? And we're making some progress here. I mean, the, the, the Bayou Greenways Initiative that has expanded access to linear parks across the entire region, uh, is, is a real phenomenon. By the time the, the Bayou Greenways Initiative is, is completed by the end of this year, 60% of everybody who lives within the city of Houston will be within walking distance of a Bayou Trail. And so opportunities are beginning to develop. We are recognizing across the board in Houston how critical this is gonna be, especially for Hispanics who are 
who are 45% of the entire population of Harris County is now Hispanic. It used to be 6% back 30 years ago. Uh, this is the Houston future. How, how Hispanics succeed or, not, or, or do not succeed in the access to, to all those health things that make possible success over a long lifetime. If, if, if Hispanics don't make it, it's hard to see Houston making it. That's, and, and if everybody, the other big thing in the census is that of everybody across all of Harris County, not ISD, HISD, not inner city Houston, of the 4.6 million people in Harris County, of everybody under the age of 20, who will be the workers and voters and citizens and taxpayers of Houston in the 21st century, of everybody under the age of 20, 51% are Latinos, 19% are African-Americans, just 20% of everybody under 20 is Anglo. So the Houston future is there. And it's not just what's happening to Hispanics, it's, it's is Houston making the investments today that will ensure access to opportunity for all all Houstonians as, as the 21st century evolves. Yeah. So uh, fascinating. Uh, this is not just an issue in Houston. I think it's uh, in, in Texas and in the south border. Um, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the impact not only in Houston, but in all Texas and the south border. With, uh, let, let's start with uh, Dr. Daniel Perez-Liston, and then we're going to go with the mayor that is facing this problem, um, you know, right there in the in the valley, I mean, in, in South Texas. Yeah, and one of the issues I want to bring up before Dr. Liston joins us uh, is, you know, we've talked to healthcare professionals before you guys appeared on this program uh, about a week or so ago. We had the healthcare professionals, and we've been talking to the American Diabetes Association, the American Heart Association, uh, Harris Health. So we, we've been talking to the University of Texas Health Science Center. And one of the things that we've discovered is that um, – you know, there has to be economic incentives for the free market participants to work hand-in-hand -hand with local governments and the community to establish facilities whereby areas that we know as food deserts uh, can make healthy foods accessible uh, to uh, low-income folks and people of color, the minority communities, particularly the Hispanic community, the African-American community. And so what we want to know is, you know, do, does the private sector play a role in, in, in helping uh, as a partner to improve accessibility to healthier foods? And Dr. Liston, I don't know if you were able to hear that, but if, if you have uh, an opinion on that, why don't you share it with us? Yeah, uh, Orlando, thank you very much, and thank you for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate being here with, with you and your your audience. And I also want to thank Dr. Kleinberg for all the work that he's done over the years. I've seen a couple of his presentations, and and he's really an advocate for, for you know, Hispanic culture here in, in the Harris County area and the, the MSA of Houston. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think for, for sure, I mean, this needs to be like a joint partnership between uh, the private sector and also the, the, the public sector, right? And all the things that uh, Dr. Kleinberg mentioned about, uh, you know, education being the key determinant to higher income levels and higher health care outcome levels uh, is, is very, very important, very crucial. And, and what Andrea just mentioned uh, about having access to, you know, grocery stores that can give you, uh, you know, 
adequate food supply that is healthy. Uh, you know, we all know about organic food and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, and also having access to playgrounds and places where you can, uh, you know, exercise and so on and so forth is important, right? So, so I guess the key goal is to achieve a higher level of education in the Hispanic community. And then how do you achieve that goal is the, the real question for policy makers in, in the Harris County area. Um, and, you know, there are many ways that we can do that, right? One of the ways that we can do that is through the child tax credit that that the Biden administration has currently implemented. And of course, that child tax credit has actually helped lift people out of poverty, right? Um, uh, but also, the, you know, the private sector can also help out, right, through the food bank. The Houston Food Bank is very important here in the area. Uh, there's other clinics like the, the San Jose Clinic that provide, uh, you know, dental services uh, for, for lower income communities, uh, affordable housing through, uh, you know, housing assistance and rental programs, stuff like that. So, so these are all the things that we need to do, right? But with that said, um, we aren't doing enough, right? I mean, I think that's a that's a fact, right? And the data, you know, bears that out that we just haven't done enough, either the public sector or the private sector. So we need more robust and more rigorous programs that will help uh, level the playing field, so to speak. Uh, one of the, the key metrics that I saw before coming on your show is that the the wage gap between Latinas and white men is at 55 cents, right? So what that means is that, uh, you know, Latina women are making 45 cents less per dollar than their white male counterparts, right? And and really that wage gap over time has not changed. I mean, over the last few decades, it really hasn't changed. Uh, so so there's lots of areas of improvement. And really the, the main thing is, you know, having policymakers that are willing and able to uh, to address these issues head head on. I want to I want to run uh, because I hear uh, you know these statistics that are put out by professors and 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 data researchers that you know the income gap. But the question is, uh, are these similarly circumstanced people? In other words, are you taking white males compared to Latina females that have the same level of education and then say there's a disparity in income? Or are these just, you know, random folks that y'all are just because, you know, let's say someone, a female yeah. Latina who's working a service job at a hotel, uh, you know, it, it can't be compared to a, let's say, British petroleum geologist. You know what I'm saying? Of so course. How, how do y'all, how do y'all adjust for that? Of course, Orlando. Yeah. And of course, like all these studies, you know, control for all those very specific factors that you're mentioning. Right. So uh, the job type, the the age group and all these different, you know, control factors that, that we put into the study to to help develop these these wage gaps. Right. Or identify these wage gaps, uh, you know, but there's other data. Right. I mean, um, you know, other data and, and, you know, just, you know, forget about the wages. Just look at the jobs that are being held. Right. Uh, if you look at, you know, executives, right, the majority of executives uh, are not Hispanic, right? So we need to make progress in, in that area. Um, you know, that's an interesting point, uh, Professor Liston, because I uh, served on the Houston City Council and worked closely with the Greater Houston Partnership, which was uh, essentially our ch big chamber of commerce. And it's amazing to me, and I think Professor Kleinberg would agree, that a city as diverse as Houston the absolute dearth of CEOs and executive board members at the largest 100 companies of Houston of Latinos or African Americans. It's absolutely astounding to me. 
it, can you can I participate? It's Absolutely. it's uh, it's a big part of of what we're living through. This is a fundamental transition from a city that had been biracial southern city dominated and controlled throughout all of its history by white men now in the midst of becoming the most ethnically diverse city in the country and 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 so every time i give a talk to the greater houston partnership it's it's overwhelmingly white men but not as overwhelmingly white men as it was five years ago and ten years ago so you can see but it is so slow and so and, and so much depends on ensuring that young Latinos acquire the technical skills that pre prepare them for the jobs of the 21st century. And, and, and the great, you know, the Laura uh, Murillo uh, and, and the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce is, is you know, celebrating more and more entrepreneurs in the Hispanic community. And, and you can see it coming, but it takes a long time. And it's, okay. and it is, it's a, what it means to be living at a time of fundamental transition. Yeah. And, uh, you and know, so that, I think that's a big part of what's going on here. Yeah, it's happening slowly. One of uh, one of the issues that was brought up, much to my amazement, I didn't really think about this when going back to the diabetes issue in urban areas like Houston, or any any neighborhood, for example, uh, because we focus on on Hispanic issues, but you know, but we also are concerned about the issues facing the African American community and generally all low income communities. But this was astounding to me in terms of. Uh, you know, I, I, I was having discussions with the University of Texas Health Science Center and Harris Health and several other nonprofit organizations. And a simple thing like uh, a, a person living in the fifth ward or what we call Segundo Barrio, which is second ward, the traditionally Hispanic neighborhood, how difficult it is just to walk around the neighborhood because of loose dogs. People are afraid of getting bit, you know. Bit. There, there's all kinds of aggressive dogs in lower income neighborhoods. And so this is a great question for Mayor Perez, uh, which, you know, these are issues that municipalities have to partner with the health care providers and the private sector, is how do we uh, control loose animals so that families feel safe that their children won't be attacked by a pit bull let's say i mean it probably doesn't happen in the memorial area and the river oaks area and where i live but if you go out to the fifth ward and second ward i was in south san antonio the other day and i just couldn't believe the number of you know loose animals and that has an effect on the community so uh mayor is that something that you guys are aware of and and, and are working to improve the safety of the neighborhood so families feel safe in your neighborhoods uh, yes, Mr. Orlando, appreciate the opportunity to be on y'all's show. <clears throat> yes, sir. Um, you know, uh, social media is a very powerful thing. And uh, in our community, because we are uh, kind of small, uh, roughly about 20,000 in population, there's a lot, there's quicker access to their elected officials. And, and what we're seeing is on social media, folks will post a loose dog um, or an animal that's uh, running a, what we call wild in the area. And so um, we, we do have to combat that uh, with uh, individuals who have allowed their animal to either escape from their backyard or was on a leash and, and now they're roaming uh, uh, around the community. Um, and so we've worked really hard with our animal control facility and uh, officers um, to really get in those areas that, you know, that we consider maybe potentially uh, uh, the area that has a lot more animals running more freely. Uh, we're like all communities, you know, we have our, our what I call segregated areas. Um, don't like to use that word, but we do have areas because this is an older community. 
And we have the uh, the barrio, uh, the barrio, which is you know on our west side of town, and we have our African American community, which we call the West Side. And um, you know, when I even ride around in the city, I, when I see loose dogs, um, I'll call uh, city staff and uh, have them uh, come out and address the situation. But you're absolutely right; um, we do have to worry about that because, uh, and it can be any part of our community that can happen. But we do see it maybe more so on on those areas. Uh, once again, it is the older part of town. Maybe a lot of folks there have their fences aren't um, maybe uh, 15, 20 years old, so they have those holes and crevices that those animals can sneak out from. So uh, it is a, a huge concern um, with um, animals uh, running at large, and, and we try to do our best. I mean, we're a small community, and uh, we have three um, animal control officers, but, you know, dogs can be sneaky. They can get around the community, and uh, uh, they just have to be very diligent in what they do and, and how they uh, capture these animals. Mayor Perez, you've been uh, 23 years as paramedic and 33 years as firefighter, and you were telling me uh, in the email that we're exchanging that you've been seeing in the Hispanic community firsthand the problem on diabetes. Yes, ma'am. Um, uh, uh, fortunately, I'm an elected mayor, but I'm a volunteer, so I have to have a normal job. And uh, by occupation, I am a paramedic, and um, I do still ride on an ambulance in my community. And uh, I, I see it in the forefront, uh, picking up patients um, with underlying conditions. And it's surprising on the amount of people that when you ask their medical conditions, they say I'm either pre-diabetic or I am diabetic. And um, I see it and I see how it compounds other medical problems where these individuals may be more sick um, should they be able to manage their diabetes or their hypertension. And um, it's just, it's at a growing rate from what I can even tell. In the, in the years that I've been on the ambulance. And so um, it's kind of unique for me because I am the mayor, but I also get to see all the challenges really up front when it comes to healthcare because I am in the home. I get to go visit that patient who's called 911. And um, it, it's, it's truly alarming. And, and we as EMS professionals, we're pre-hospital, so we try to educate. Um, now you can look at me, I got a little chubby face. So, you know, I tell people kind of do as I say, not, not as much as I do. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to kind of be very realistic with the folks and say, if you continue on a path of unhealthy living, um, your mortality is going to come sooner than later. And um, so, I mean, I see it uh, just I've been blessed to, to be in this opportunity to maybe uh, help someone or help an individual. And, and it is not just in the Hispanic community. It's also in our African-American community um, that we see it. And so um, uh, it's heart wrenching sometimes that if they would have just had access to proper health care and education on diet and exercise. And, and like the gentleman said before, um, one of the things that our city looked at is uh, we recognize that we don't have a park within a mile of every port part of our city. And that's kind of the golden standards. You want to have access to a park within walking distance. And here in our community, we are doing that. We're actually building two new parks as we speak to, to kind of access well, you know, the west side of town and, and, and the barrio. And so that's what we're kind of doing is we're doing that as a community. Uh, is building these two beautiful parks and in upgrading our parks with exercise equipment that we haven't done in the past because we see the need for those individuals to gain access free of charge. You know, just walk over to the park with your kiddos, toss the frisbee, you know, and walk the track, um, the, the nature trail. And so uh, we're excited what we're doing down here, but how do we get that message out? That's another thing that we need to try to do is how do we get the message out to let folks know this well, availability getting, uh, is there. Yeah. Getting, the, getting the message out, Mayor, is important. That's why we do this program every week, because what we're hoping to do is to create a partnership with public policy 
uh, professionals, uh, people in government. Uh, for example, uh, you know, trying to encourage the Agriculture Commissioner of the state of Texas to pay attention and get uh, resources down on the ground for communities. Um, you know, part of the job of the Agriculture Commissioner in Texas is to promote Texas agriculture. And, of course, uh, promoting Texas agriculture leads to healthier lifestyles. And so we want to affect public policy that makes an impact on our communities. Uh, everyone is aware, and you guys can jump in from a public policy perspective, I think there's probably things that we can do better. As the name of this show indicates, uh, Texas Latino conservatives, I've always advocated that conservatives ought to apply conservative principles to urban problems. And, uh, and, 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 you know, that would build the brand up. It would certainly help resolve some of the issues in our urban communities and rural communities. Uh, and, and, and I think it's absolutely important. So we're talking about public policy issues that affect health care outcomes. I mean, the state of Texas has been involved in a long struggle as to whether or not we're going to expand um, uh, uh, Medicaid in, in the state. And Professor Kleinberg, it's a little bit of a complicated issue, but, but, uh, but both Professor Liston and Kleinberg can probably talk to us a little bit about uh, not participating in, in, in the expanded Medicaid. What are the consequences, and what are the consequences to the taxpayer in the community? Well, the, the consequences in, in Houston is that 40, more than 40 percent, four out of every 10 Hispanic families have no health insurance. Yeah. Just incredible in today's world. And, and, and it's a beautiful example of where you need enlightened government programs and enlightened uh, efforts to, to address the growing inequalities we've been talking about that, that underlie virtually all of these central challenges. And, and if we don't find a way to do that soon in this generation, if we allow another generation to go through the system where one of the most striking things in, in terms of, of educational preparation for the, for the knowledge economy of the 21st century, less than 10% of all graduating high school seniors who are Latino or African-American, less than 10% Take the pass the SAT at a level that indicates college readiness, and that's a powerful indictment of the of, of the fact that Latinos are far less likely to have access to quality preschool education when their brain is growing by 60%. When rich kids in Houston start kindergarten one and a half to two years ahead of poor kids, and so what we need is enlightened government that can work with the private sector in Houston to to turn around the, the trajectory that now condemns so many Latino kids to, to lives of, of enormous difficulty and access to all the things we've been talking that have to do with the inequalities in the city. Right? So it's, it's, and it's not gonna happen without government working with the private sector and an enlightened government in a way that, that uh, you know, I, I, I think we've talked before about Latinos are, are natural Republicans. You know, they are, they, are, they are deeply conservative. They believe more than any other community that if, if you work hard in the city, you can succeed. They have all, they they understand the importance of education. They they need to have the real opportunities to have access, as you were saying, also to access to to exercise areas, to parks, to to green spaces, to to get to having no community in Houston that's a that's a food desert and pushes unhealthy food on people that results in diabetes. So it's all a part of a public-private partnership that needs to be developed. And, 
collaboration with Republicans and Democrats together to say we're all in this together. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they're, Professor, they're not, they're hang, not hang investing. Real, real quick, I want to play devil's advocate, and 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 Professor, you you can jump in, and then Professor Listed can jump in. One of the arguments I hear is that. Uh, you know, those are magnets for attracting more illegal immigration. I mean, we have to come face to face with the reality that the the masses that we see coming across. And listen, as an immigrant myself, as a refugee in this country, I understand the despair that Latin American families and families in the Caribbean basin are facing and want to come to the United States. This is, after all, the land of opportunity. But we have limited resources. So, Professor Kleinberg. You know, we, we, one of the concerns I hear from, from, from my colleagues, my friends on the conservative side, is we've, we've got to stop these magnets for illegal immigration. And that's, that's a legitimate issue that, you know, if we're providing uh, public, free public education, free public health care through federally qualified health clinics and policies like EMTALA that says that you have to treat a patient that presents themselves at the hospital, uh, you know, uh, these are drivers yeah. for continued illegal immigration. So how do you folks in, in, the, in the academic world see this and what possible solutions could we propose that are amenable to both Republicans and Democrats, which we know haven't been working together for some time? Because at the end of the day, our goal is to make a better Texas through public policy. Yeah, I mean, let me quickly jump in here and then stop because I don't want to know. The, uh, you, you pointed to it. I mean, the, the, the deepening uh, difficulties of, you know, we, we, we are controlling the border much more than we had before, spending all kinds of money and controls. Our, and, and we've got to find a way to open the, if we're going to build a gate, to also have a door. Have a, have a, if we have a, a wall, let's build a gate that opens because we're going to need more immigrants as as the aging of Americans and especially of Anglos conti continues. But meanwhile, we've got a 10 million people who are here illegally, who've been here for 20, 30 years. And we and it would be the most obvious thing to find a way to provide them with legal status and, and especially their children. Right? There's a By the way, we have a solution for that, Dr. Kleinberg, but we'll get shared understanding of, of, the, of DACA, which which we're not we ought, we ought to be able to reach some agreement on that. These are kids who, who largely born here, who came here involuntarily, who, who's, this is the only country they know, they have, they have gone to college, they have served in the military, and they, we lock them out of opportunity for the rest of their lives in a way that is just against all values in, in America, Republican and Democrat equally. We need to at least find a way to agree on that and then have a rational discussion about how many and which kinds of immigrants should we allow to come here because we're gonna need immigrants. As, so as you don't, you, Professor Kleinberg, you don't take an issue with with us as Americans through public policy deciding who comes in and how many come in. I mean, can we agree on that? We we have to have yeah, an effective yeah. immigration policy, right or wrong? Right, right. It's exactly okay. that's one of the consensus. You can't just open the gates, obviously, okay. and you have to have some control over who's who's allowed. But, but meanwhile, we've got 10 million people who have come here, have been working here, have contributing enormously to and are overwhelming Latinos, for God's sakes, give them a chance to have a decent life. Right. And, Dr. And Liston. Provide the leadership that we need. Yeah, I agree. Dr. Liston, is that an, a driver for continued illegal immigration? Uh, and, and what are possible solutions? 
Well, I, I really don't think that's the driver for illegal immigration. I think really what's driving the illegal immigration or the undocumented immigration is actually a push factor from the countries of origin, right? So all these Latin American countries that have, uh, you know, poor, you know, governance, right? Their governments are not actually working for them. That's what's actually pushing uh, all these undocumented workers to come over across the border, right? Uh, and then, so so really, that's that's what I see the problem is. Um, but I, I guess from the Hispanic from the Hispanic perspective, um, you know, you have to remember that the Hispanic person, whether a, a, a U.S. born Hispanic or a foreign born Hispanic, you know, comes from a lower starting point economically, right? And that's the main issue at. at you know, that, that's causing all these different problems, right? Uh, healthcare outcomes and so on, right? Versus their white counterparts that, that have actually inherited a better situation, right? They, they live in better neighborhoods, they live in better school districts, um, you know, they have better access to healthcare. All of these things are the, the things that are, you know, not letting the Hispanic uh, in the US actually fulfill his entire promise, right? Um, of, of his potential. So um, I think we need to address those issues, right? Uh, and as far as like the undocumented uh, workers, I think, um, you know, we probably have a lot more Hispanics here in the US that are not undocumented, right? And and just from a from a healthcare outcome perspective, uh, it's it's actually kind of ironic, or it's kind of like a paradox where, where the foreign born Hispanic actually has better healthcare outcomes than the US born Hispanic. Right. So um, so somehow the U.S. born Hispanic maybe uh, eats worse food, you know, uh, goes to fast food chains, doesn't have maybe access to to, you know, better food and, and all these other different things. So uh, and, you know, so that that's one of the things that I learned uh, before I came on your show, this Hispanic paradox uh, where Hispanics actually have, you know, lower incomes and their jobs aren't as good but their death rate is actually lower than their white counterparts. So that's good news, right? Somehow the culture, right? The culture of maybe eating better food or something is actually having a lower death rate uh, than, than their white counterparts. But then mm -hmm. when, they're, when they're US born, that kind of goes away, right? And they have you know similar uh, or worse healthcare outcomes. And one thing that I do want to mention is that in terms of diabetes, Hispanics do have like way worse uh, outcomes than, than their white counterparts. So uh, diabetes is a major problem, you know, for Hispanics in the U.S. and it's also a major problem for Hispanics outside of the U.S., right? We know that in Mexico, uh, you know, obes obesity levels and, and diabetes levels are, are very bad in, in Mexico. Now, linking that with COVID, uh, we know that the Hispanic experience of COVID in the U.S. has been very bad, right? Uh, we've had like you know, death rates that are worse than uh, their, their, you know, white counterparts. Um, and, you know, one of the possible links could be the fact that these, you know, that Hispanics have higher levels of, of diabetes compared to, to their white counterparts. Yes, what they call comorbidities. Um, and, you know, another issue I learned, of course, uh, is that uh, Hispanics are essential service workers. So, so exactly. they, they've got to show up to the hotel and, and fix those rooms. They've got to show up to the restaurants and, and, and wait tables and, 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 and cook the food. They, they have to show up to the construction site on the highway so they don't have the luxury of, 
you know, zooming in as uh, as bankers do or as CEOs or as office workers do. So it it disproportionately, I think, puts them in a more susceptible uh, circumstance uh, than than the average yeah, worker. And, and, COVID and also, has exaggerated the inequalities. Yeah, and also, you know, what we were talking at the beginning, not only, you know, the lack of education, that we need more um, investment on the private and the government sector, but also um, if we don't have access, not only to supermarkets, but also to the parks and, and, and places to, to exercise, also you see on the communities, in the Hispanic community, low-income communities, and also the mayor can, um, the mayor from Angleton can also confirm this. Also in the south of Texas, I used to live in Laredo, and it's hard to find also restaurants that sell healthy uh, dishes or healthy plates or healthy food. That means you find all over fast food restaurants. So the fast food restaurants are investing in the low-income communities, the fast food restaurants and investing in the South Texas communities. But they're not, you don't find restaurants that are investing in a, in a, in a healthy um, food in these communities. So that's another problem that we don't see any investors and the private sector investing in our communities. Well, let me just jump in and say, look, there's a, the, the, you know, the, the, we have to understand basic economics. I mean, the Palm restaurant that'll serve you a lean slice of meat for $48 isn't going to open up in Laredo because the society can't support a restaurant, so they have to close. I but, mean, that's many, why but these days you find many fast food restaurants with healthy food, and also they're not investing in mm. our communities. Well, you know that it doesn't cost a lot of money. Yeah, one of the things that we want to do, and you guys can jump in, for example, I'm trying to push, let's say, our major retailers of groceries, for example, Kroger, H-E-B, Randall's, uh, you name them. I don't understand why I, uh, th they can't open up a 75,000 square foot uh, uh, grocery store in the 5th Ward, 2nd Ward. But they can certainly partner with government and the, the state health department and the agriculture department and say we'll open up a 5,000 or a 6,000 square foot facility. We could offer some tax incentives and by the way, we're going to beef up the Department of Agriculture and we're going to put a nutritionist in each one of those facilities so that when the parents come in to shop, they're given basic nutrition education. That seems to me like a very simple solution to educate the community on the ground and in their neighborhood. Am I right or wrong, guys? No, that, you're right. And it's also beginning to happen. And, and so we ought not to despair, right? I think the most powerful thing is, again, which I touched on earlier, the, the demographics are so powerful. The average age of Anglos in Harris County, Texas, is 46. The average age of Latinos is 25. No force in the world is going to stop Houston or Texas or America from becoming more African-American, more Asian, more Latino, and less Anglo as the 21st century unfolds. So we're in the process of a transformation of a, uh, where this biracial southern city dominated by white men is now the most ethnically diverse major metropolitan area in the country. And, we're, and younger Anglos are embracing this diversity in a way that all, we older Anglos are still struggling to accept. And you can see this process unfold in a way that ought to give us all some optimism, some sense that with all the frustrations and the slowness with which these changes are occurring, they are inevitably occurring. And, and the future is increasingly clear. And, and if we believe in the future and care about the future of Houston, investing in Latinos is a very good place to start in terms of building, building the, the workforce of the 21st century. Your comments, uh, Dr. Perez-Lison. 
and piggybacking on, on what Dr. Kleinberg said, I mean, we have to remember that a, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? I mean, it's not benefiting Hispanics at the cost of white uh, males in, in the country, right? I mean, if everyone has a better education, everyone has better healthcare outcomes, then our GDP is actually going to be better. We're actually going to do better in this country, all of us together. So uh, investing in, you know, communities that are disadvantaged is actually to the benefit of all uh, communities in the country, right? You're here. Well, I got to say that I remember that Dr. Kleinberg was kind enough many, many years ago, he may not remember this, to invite me to sort of a, a roundtable discussion on education. And this was back when a hot button issue was facing many Texans, and that is whether we should have pre-K education. And one of the things that stuck with me, I can't remember if it was Dr. Kleinberg or another uh, participant in the roundtable said, that a Hispanic child or a low-income child or a child of parents who may not have a high level of education has something like, and I'm going to throw a number out, like a 10,000-word deficiency when they start kindergarten mm. compared to a parent who reads to their children, uh, has a higher socioeconomic status. And that was stunning to me because I can tell you as an immigrant who did not speak a lick of English, it was a huge disadvantage for me. And so I, I often wonder, if you remove the politics, you know, does pre-K education benefit the society? And, and, and I mean, I've, as a conservative, I've come to the conclusion that absolutely it benefits us. Here, here. Good for you, Alan. Well, <laughs> no, absolutely. Okay. Actually, I remember that too. Okay, good, good, and 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 so you look, you know, yes, I, I bring these I issues up because they, these, yeah, these have to be starting principles. And one of the things, I mean, is in this program, we're talking about Latinos and we're talking about Asians and African Americans. And one of the things I do uh, is I try to refer to everybody as Texans. Uh, we're, we're in this together, uh, you know. Exactly. Great. We have a changing demographics, but at the end of the day. The, the, the children of immigrants, whether they're legal or illegal, born here, are now U.S. citizens. They're Americans, they're Texans, and we're in this together. I agree. That's exactly, exactly. I agree. Yeah. Okay, and I think we'll be I, I agree, Orlando. One, one of the things I want to mention, you know, this is relevant to our discussion, is I'm a professor right now, and I'm, you know, privileged to teach, you know, all the people who are getting their bachelor's and master's degrees and stuff like that. But when I was younger, I was actually a high school professor teacher and uh and i was a high school teacher in south texas in in the mccallan area and you know it was a, a you know it was a difficult situation right being a teacher uh today is very very difficult very challenging right you know being a university professor is you know a, a privilege but you know being a teacher in high school and kindergarten and you know elementary is a real, real challenge, especially in these communities that are disadvantaged. So I really, you know, want policymakers to understand the challenges that that all these teachers out there and all these different school districts are facing, right? And the way we're organizing school districts, right? That's also a, an important issue uh, where we have, you know, school districts that are, you know, basically like in poor neighborhoods, right? And, and the type of education they're getting compared to uh, school districts that are in rich neighborhoods, right? So um, all these things need to be addressed slowly over time. Uh, but 
but we're impatient, right? We, we need to do this quicker rather than slower, right? Uh, like Dr. Kleinberg was saying, you know, this is, it's been moving, right? We've been benefiting, we've been doing better, but I think the pace is not fast enough. We're, we, need to, we need to do better. Well, from a public policy perspective, I'm always a little bit baffled. You know, I've taken an interest in um, public education because I think it's important. I was educated mostly through public schools. But I hate to see what's happened to our traditional, uh, you know, African-American neighborhoods and some schools in the barrios. As you all know, and Children at Risk has a great uh, website that, that ranks all these schools. But even uh, the State Department of Education has ranked a number of schools as failing for several years in Houston. And it was Harold Dutton, a state representative, African-American, that came up with the legislation that if these schools continue to fail, that they should be taken over by the secretary or the, the, the yeah, the secretary of education uh, here in the state of Texas. And when they do that, what does the school district do and some other interest groups is sue the state. So, so you know, there, there's, there's so much politics involved and it, it leaves the child, the family and the taxpayer behind. And, 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 and we've all agreed, I guess, from these comments that education is a tool that's necessary for upward mobility to have better health care outcomes in the state of Texas. So what do we do? How do we get these public policymakers to work together to realize that failing schools actually should be shut down? Yeah, yeah that's a big challenge. Um, that's a really big challenge. And, um, and you know, it's 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 a, a lot of these problems i see them as as things that can be solved right that that can be worked on but the politics gets in the way which is what you mentioned orlando and uh and it's very important for people to understand that you know we're not democrats we're not republicans we're not independents we're americans right and we're texans right and and we need to address these problems in a very pragmatic way uh unfortunately uh you know facebook uh you know, social media platforms, uh, you know, the 24-7 news cycle, I think, has exacerbated these, these differences in, in, these in, in our country. And, and you know, it's, it's drawing our attention away from solving all these important problems that actually get to the source of the problem and actually correct uh, the problem and actually improve society, right? Uh, so I think, uh, you know, we just need to be, I guess, more work together politicians the mayor can, can chime in on this you know he's a he's a politician he can tell us how difficult it is for politicians to work with each other social media and the media is another epidemic <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i agree i agree andrea totally even though that i used to work on one of those but uh, but mayor your comments are, your comments about that yeah, um, I mean, I do see that, uh, and I've been blessed and fortunate once again. Is I get invited to go into the schools and, and see what's going on over there, and it's it's truly an amazement when I'm walking through the campuses or at the elementary level, and um, I do see the the um, uh, you know the little Latino kids, and and they may be off in a classroom um, because they're learning English as a second language, and you know I can see maybe some of them that are scared. Or, or maybe they're, they're still trying to understand kind of what's going on in our community. So I really think part of it uh, uh, here in Angleton, uh, we have a great school system. I know they do a wonderful job, um, but um, I really think that uh, uh, we need to come together. And, and, and sometimes the smaller communities may have some of the solutions to help the bigger communities. We certainly look at the uh, larger communities for solutions to our problems, but 
maybe there needs to be more of a cent, uh, consensus meeting, getting together with those rural and, and those uh, non-metro um, communities and, and see how we can uh, combat this and work this together um, uh, with our education system. Because I, I seem to think that the smaller schools uh, districts may have a little tighter grasp on what's going on than, than maybe some of our largest communities, um, you know, like the HISDs, the Dallas-Fort Worth areas. Um, but uh, because they can really analyze, I think, at a much closer level um, due to that. Uh, but I I'm all in. I mean, I meet with my superintendent quite regularly and, and, and visit with him and see how we can work together um, to address any uh, needs. And um, uh, But I'm glad what we're doing in our community, um, trying to do that. But, yeah, trying to get politicians together to come to consensus. Um, luckily for our level, uh, we don't have to pick a side, whether we're Democrat, Democrat or Republican. Uh, we just look together to fix a common uh, fix a common problem or problem and, and come up with a workable solution that that we know it's going to be the best for everyone you know it's always very interesting to me mayor uh i'm a property taxpayer both in harris county which is the third largest school district in the united states and a taxpayer in kenny county so i pay i pay i actually pay school taxes in four counties in the united states but be that as it may uh there there the the outcomes in bracket in other words kenny county is is a border county it's one of the poorest counties in texas yet their school uh, uh the bracketville high school at bracket independent school district and we've had their superintendent on our program has some pretty darn good outcomes and i and i wonder to myself you folks in the education business how, how can a school in a border community like bracketville texas kinney county texas have such good results in their public education system and yet the city of Houston through HISD have such poor results in areas that are in greater need of a good education. I'll let Professor Kleinberg try to tackle that one. Well, let me just pick up on, on, on some of the themes here. It, it isn't just schools. It isn't just education. It isn't just teachers. Uh, there are all sorts of, of, of consequences of, of poverty that have to do with access to to health, health and dental care that have to do with, with stable households that are and affordability when there's this uh, uh, epidemic of, of evictions going on in Houston, all the the systems that make it possible for kids to succeed and to have environments where they can study and they can they can do well and they can have have, have support systems. So it is, and teachers can't do it alone. Schools need communities that are succeeding, and and so many of the things we've been talking about. That, uh, that have to do with the with the deepening poverty in Houston underlie the the inadequacies of, of of education education writ large it's a community that we need to become a learning society I tell everyone who will listen and when I give these talks about our, our findings that every church in Houston ought to be providing preschool and after school programs every business in Houston ought to adopt a school and we ought to recognize that in order to succeed, we need all of us as a learning society to support this next generation and ensure that people uh, have access to opportunities to acquire new skills as the, as the world changes. We think the average high school graduate today will have five to, th I mean, a college graduate will have five to six career changes before he or she retires sometime in ages 80 or 85. This is a new world and education is, is the centerpiece because we're in a global economy where companies can produce goods anywhere. We're at the beginnings of the robotics revolution. If you're doing a job I can program a computer to do, I'm gonna replace your job with an intelligent machine. This is a world of education. And, it's an, and education is not just teachers and students, it's all of us. And I think that's a key 
part that we've been touching on here that that needs to be needs to be uh, emphasized and underlined. And and when when schools succeed, it's because the communities are there to provide a support system that is so critical to success. All right. Well, look, uh, it is now almost a noon hour, so we appreciate each and every one of you participating with us. I think I'd like to give everybody just one minute with a closing remark or maybe, as Andrea likes to call it, call a, to a, a call to action. Uh, you know, uh, we have, we get several thousand viewers of this program, uh, not all live. Some of them watch it on YouTube afterwards. But so, uh, Professor Kleinberg, uh, uh, what's in, in one minute, your call to action to the community that's watching us. I, I think I said it, that all of, all of us need to become part of a learning society of lifelong learning of education from birth to college, from cradle to career. Rich kids in Houston start kindergarten one and a half to two years ahead of poor kids. And we know that, and, and it's absolutely critical. And that's why this, this effort in, in Washington to, to ensure universal access to quality preschool education that may be the most critical piece that we can make in preparing this next generation for the jobs of the 21st century in a world where Latinos are going to become by far the most dominant community. Uh, Anglos are aging rapidly. This is a new world of absolutely clarity and predictability. How do we ensure that this becomes the great asset that Houston could have as it positions itself in the global economy and make sure it doesn't end up tearing us apart? The central question for Houston's future lies in the kinds of issues that we've been talking about today. Professor Liston. Now, I'm not a politician, right? I'm a professor, right? Just to get that clear, I'll, I'll, you know, make that very clear. But one, one thing that I do want to say to all the Hispanics out there is get out and vote. You need to vote. There's too many people that I know who have never voted in this life and who are, you know, legally capable of voting. So you need to get out and vote. That's number one. Number two is you need to vote for politicians, whether Democratic or Republican politicians that advance your interests, right? If your interests are education, health care, taxes, whatever it may be, you need to vote for politicians that advance your community interests. Great. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. We need that. And we need more participation, not only vote, but also yeah. uh, run for office, uh, uh, our Latino community. Uh, Mayor, your, your comments, your call to action. Uh, yes, uh, yes ma'am. And it, just like uh, Dr. Liston said, get involved uh, i do notice in my community the hispanic community they're not as involved as 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 like myself not that i'm the the prime example but i see that in my community whether it's on boards commissions even on our council um you know i was one of the i, was, I think i'm the second hispanic ever elected at the city of angleton and the first hispanic mayor elected get involved and in, and in, in, in represent not just the hispanic community but all of our community um, you need if you want to make this better, want to make this place or make Texas better, go get involved, whether it's at your local school, it's a local health clinic, um, if it's at your city government level, if it's in the it's, if it's a mentorship program, go be the action, uh, be the example of that action and, and, and show individuals who think that they can't, by all means, you can. Uh, one of my dreams was become a mayor and, and, and look where I'm at today. But um, I also did have some some mentors to look at my parents. Um, and other Hispanics that maybe weren't as involved, but I saw their their qualities, and I wanted to be like those. So, just just make yourself that better person. Get involved. Get involved. Get involved. I can't I can't preach that enough. 
All right. Well, thank you, Professor Kleinberg, for taking part of your day to be with us. Thank you, Professor Liston. And thank you, Mayor Perez, for joining us on such short notice. Uh, you guys have a wonderful and productive rest of the day. The rest of you, thank you for joining us as you do every Wednesday. Remember, check out our website. It's TexasLatinoConservatives.com. We take public policy positions that hopefully will make Texas a better state. It's a great state, but we can improve. I love Professor Kleinberg's optimism. He's been a dear friend for many, many years, and he always sees the glass as half full. So I'm always inspired by him, uh, and I appreciate Dr. Liston sharing part of his wisdom over at the University of St. Thomas with us, which is a great Catholic institution here in Houston, not far away. Their neighbor is Rice University. And so we have great institutions of higher learning here in Houston, the University of Houston, uh, the downtown campus, Rice University, Houston Baptist University, University of Texas Health Science Center, Baylor Medical. I mean, it just goes on and on. So there are many educational opportunities, but we've got to get these young kids prepared. And we have to realize and the parents. That, the, For me, the key also is the well, parents. I, we need I to agree. educate the parents. I agree, but, you know, it's a heavy lift. I mean, we got to get these kids ready to yeah. start kindergarten with a good vocabulary and then get them on, not necessarily on to college, because college is not for everyone, but we have Houston Community College. We have great two-year colleges that are technical schools that prepare the community for a six-figure salary. My God, I was talking to a, a air conditioning man the other day, and he makes a lot more than oh, I do, yeah. you know. And, sure. the, and, and when I have a plumbing problem, sure. the plumbers. Oh, drive, the plumbers! The plumbers Imagine, drive. Uh, the plumbers, after February, the plumbers become the. The, the plumber <laughs> shows up in a 2021 Ford F350, and I've got a 96 Ford F250. No, you know? so there are tremendous opportunities, but it all starts with education. And uh, thank you, guys. Uh, gracias a todos. Check us out on our website. And don't forget our Leadership Latino class in San Antonio, November. November 6th. And my call to action is go to our website, TexasLatinoConservatives.com. Become a member and also visit us in LeadershipLatino.com. And our class is going to be November 6th. Not only we need to vote, but also we need to participate. We need to um, become um, uh, a candidate and you know we need more representation in our latino community we need to become responsible citizens involved citizens and make a contribution to this great country this is what has made america the greatest country in the world this is what makes america the shining star on the hill this is why everyone from every corner of the world wants to come to america andrea's an immigrant Including. i'm an immigrant because this is, in fact, the land of opportunity. But we all have to get out and pull the wagon as Americans and as Texans in the same direction so this continues to be the shining star of opportunity in the world. And as a program note, I can tell you that now that the special legislative session is over, I've spoken to our Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. He will be on the program. Those program notes will be on our website. But make sure you tune in uh, for a conversation with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. So. Enjoy the rest of your week. God like bless. Like us and share. And I'll see you guys next Wednesday. Nos vemos. Chao, chao.